Hefo, how are you, mate? Good. How you going, mate? You uh, feeling good? Feeling good. <laughs> it's been a little while. We've had a little bit of a break. Uh, a lot, lot been going on in the background. Yeah, so we've got a special guest here today. We'll introduce him first, Andrew Head, a uh, good mate of ours, known as, known, I've known him all my life. We were neighbours back when we were just born, I think, back on Ridge Road in Ingardine. So great to have him here to tell a few yarns as well. And I think the big thing we need to talk about is, first of all, why it's been so long since our last podcast and what's been happening with you, Jonesy. Yeah, mate, I uh, ran into a few health uh, health issues, probably the best way to put it. Uh, you, know, you know the background of it, but basically, yeah, heart rate went up to 250 to 300 beats per minute. Um, waited 24 hours before I decided to go take myself to hospital, uh, which is a little bit stupid, as everyone has told me. Um, and pretty much nearly went into cardiac arrest, mate. So, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So how'd they get your heart rate down? Yeah, so um, went into emergency uh, within you know, five minutes. I had 15 doctors transported into the resus room and uh, they told me my heart rate was through the roof. Um, I had, you know, probably should have seen the signs and looked in hindsight, um, typical male stupidity really. Um, had chest pains, really bad, uh, sharp pain in the left shoulder. Um, all the signs of heart issues, me being me, too tough. Um, decided not to go but yeah um, so got into emergency uh, doctors came from everywhere um, basically said hey we've got to get your heart rate down ASAP um, we're going to defib you and first thing you think is shit <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah a lot of, lot of things going through your head and yeah so they defib me um, found that I had a, um, a heart issue which is unknown um, born with it basically so it wasn't um, despite what you say it's cholesterol and bad eating but um, okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so um, you know that was at Southern Hospital um, you know that all happened so defibs reset my heart um, <clears throat> heart rate got back to normality um, cardiologist come in and said yeah you've got an issue with your heart uh, uh, Wolf Parkinson White syndrome is something you're born with, and basically it's an, an electrical fault um, in your heart. So what was happening? Um, you know, I hope this is not too boring for people to listen to. Nah, but but um, it's a basically a filtration system in your heart. So your heart electrical system circulates through, and then you have something that um, keeps your heart rate, you know, where it should be. Um, it, it was found that I had two issues um, within the heart, and my heart wouldn't regulate that speed so it was going through the roof so all that time when we were younger and we were playing football and i was i had no gas now i have a uh, now you've got a proper excuse a proper excuse why i never ran wow <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so that that's probably it man um yeah transported through mm. to prince of wales uh, went for heart surgery in the next day um had an ablation so what they do is they go into the heart <clears throat> put a little hole in the heart go in through your groin um through your artery um, which is mind-blowing in itself that they can do this in, in this day and age. Um, go go in through, um, they find, the they have to increase the heart rate to find where the irregularities are. They go in and they burn the passage closed. Therefore, then the heart can circulate and do whatever it needs to do. So, yeah, I was off my feet for a few. Generally, it's a pretty um, standard procedure. I think people come back quite quickly. Um, me being me is a little bit sluggish, a little bit slower than, than most. Um, and then I think built up to that, 
um, you know, running nearly 24 hours of that sort of heart rate and, you know, the cardiologist kind of said, you've, you've run multiple marathons. So there you go. That's my claim to fame now. Jeez, has it, so when you've had that in your younger years, did it hang around for that long? So Never do you, do you ha- remember times when it was really high like that? Only once. I went to hospital once uh, when I was about 20 playing um, touch footy, actually. Came off the field, felt rubbish, went to hospital, stayed there for three days. Um, they, they put it down to a viral infection okay. and it was never heard of again. So never had any issues as a kid, never really as an adult. as you know. Um, so it's been pretty, you know, um, pretty solid health for the most part. Um, never really had any issues like this, that's for sure. They definitely think you were born with that, though. You're definitely born with it. Yeah, definitely right. born with it. So, you know, there's there's um, <clears throat> there's all different things, I guess, that, you know, you never really know what's inside until you check it, you know. So I, th- I think that's with everything that comes up. It's probably, if anything, if, <laughs> you know, not to praise or whatever the words are to, to get people, if you do have an issue, go and get it checked out, you know, because... Anytime there's a marker of that kind of, you know, level, the reality is I could have died, you know. So um, just from not going, you know, I thought it was uh, um, anxiety because we had so much other stuff going on with new baby and job and everything else. Um, and you kind of put your health second and that's probably pretty stupid. But, um, yeah, it all it's all worked out well now. Um, went to the surgeon on Monday. Um, it's all, you know, he's, he's happy with it is. Uh, the, the heart rate's performing the way it should be. So now I've just got to rebuild and get stronger and, you know, um, get everything together health-wise and, you know, kind of working on that at the moment. So you're saying the next time you have sharp pains in your arm and chest and your heart rate's beating really fast and you're feeling pretty average that you won't wait two days before you go to hospital, you'll probably pop in there straight away, mate? Uh, yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> or maybe call an ambulance. Jeez. You know, so uh, even, even stupider, I will say this, even stupider, I drove to hospital. Yeah, but you've got the family here, newborn. True, it's true. But the nurses crucified mm. me over that one. So yeah, the, okay. they were like, how I can't, How did you get here? And I said, I drove. Because I just rocked up with a backpack. Thinking I'd be in there for a, for a day with a few uh, couple of blood tests and give me some antibiotics and I'll be out of there again. Um, that didn't happen. So yeah, anyway. Wow, wow. There you go, Andy. Welcome to False 10. Welcome, Andy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. That's, that's why you've been waiting so long, mate, to hear another show. Uh, thanks for having me on, gents. Um, that's that's an amazing story there, Dono. Um, but, I mean, really it's a good, good lesson for people to um, not uh, to just get themselves to the hospital. Simple as that. Don't, don't wait. Get it checked. Well, you in yourself, if you don't mind me asking, you've got a story quite – Similar probably in terms of health scares, but yours was a bit longer recovery and a, a lot longer process as well. Do you want to tell us what happened for you and what signs you recognise? And I guess it's really important, as Dane's always said, that especially our age group men can often just keep working, keep pushing through, keep trying to put food on the table, so to speak, for their families and, and never really stop and have a think. But run us through what happened with you and your story a couple of years ago with your health scare. Yeah, um, <clears throat> you, you'll have to bear with me a little bit because uh, this will be the first time I've really spoken about it other than to, uh, you know, close family and, and friends. But um, 
listening to Dane there just brings back a few memories, and it only was last year actually. And the basics of it are running your own business, you and run and having a family. You you, you think you're invincible, right? You just take it on board. You're working a lot. You just get things done. There's no time to whinge and and worry about things. But I just felt like I was a bit uh, uh, feeling crook at the end of I think it's 2018. Towards the end of the year, I'd run myself into the ground. Um, a lot of hours, and uh, yeah, it. Um, anyway, I went to the doctor, and and there was a lump that was started to appear uh, at the top of of my left soft palate, actually, the top of the tonsil in my mouth, and um, it was sort of there, but it didn't hurt, wasn't showing any symptoms or anything like that, but I was feeling pretty ordinary, uh, so I went to the docs and had some blood tests, and um, she said, oh, "You've got glandular fever." I said, okay, no worries. I had this when I was 18 as well. So um, it was uh, it was okay. Well, you're not supposed to get it twice, three times, but, you know, fair enough. I've got it. It's not in a good spot. Okay, you got to rest up. But the lump, when I spoke to her, she said it wasn't, you know, didn't seem so much of an issue, that it's not hurting you, et cetera. So he booked a, a meeting with the um, ENT, you know, throat specialist. Um, but that wasn't until March, so this was, I think, end of December, January, oh. where I got the blood test back. Um, but I thought, you know what, uh, maybe we get this urgently checked. In my head, I was just thinking, uh, just uh, just how you know your own body, mm. and just things aren't right. And that's the decision then, I think, as Dane, you know your own body. You've got to listen to that thought process. Um, that's That's basically the first part of it. So anyway, after a little bit of probably waiting longer i did uh go back and say look you know can we speed this up but the ant can't speed it up until you know they get a referral that says it's urgent so it didn't end up getting pushed through as urgent so it was another two months anyway we went back into um and i started to feel better the glandular fever was disappearing so it wasn't too much of, a, of an issue but i still thought that there was something there just all the ducks were lining up anyway we went to the ant and uh he uh, prodded around and he said, oh, you know, there's a little bit of a hard lump there. It initially wasn't too bad. We might get it checked. It could be, you know, it likely be a, uh, a tumour. Um, it could be malignant or it could be uh, <laughs> the other. And um, I sort of didn't think too much of it at the time. I did, but it was like, okay, well, let's go. So first steps first, we get to a biopsy, which was put in for the next Tuesday. And the Wednesday, and straight away after it, we booked in for a, a PET scan. So on the Tuesday, we go in for the biopsy, and um, uh, they put me under. And to be honest, it's the first time I've had a rest in a long time. <laughs> 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 Getting that needle, I woke up and I actually felt, wow, I, I feel like and I'm away, you know, like a yeah. fresh, <laughs> bizarrely. Um, anyway, so we went and did that and, and, and did the PET scan on the Wednesday, straight in there, and then um, the results basically came back when I went into the doc, he, he, to the uh, to the ANT. He said, well, no way to dress it up. You've got um, what's called a, we, we think it lines up with a B-cell lymphoma uh, cancer, essentially, um, which is a blood cancer. Uh, we can't operate on it. You can't get it out. It's basically treated by chemotherapy. Oh, so I, uh, heavy. <laughs> I looked at him and I went. Heavy, yeah. I, I just went. Yeah, well, I, I can't say what I said, to be honest. Um, and I went, right, okay. 
sat there for a minute and and he was good i, I like doctors who are pretty straightforward and just uh, say it how it is don't dance around the situation because you know it's a bit more real and i said well what's my chances where's my percentages where are we sitting what's the story i'm someone who just goes with that sort of stuff you know okay give me a plan um and he said the first words that he come out of his mouth after that which changed the game for me was highly treatable highly curable and from there it was like right let's I don't know, there's a switch in my head that just went, okay, that's it. I needed to hear those words. There was something like a 70% five-year um, rate of cure, of getting through it, as they do with the cancer side of things. Um, and then there's nothing I can do for you here. We're going to send you on to the oncologist, hematologist up the road. So from there, um, it was then... The, the other side of it of that is is um, basically you, you get your... Uh, you get checked. You get checked to make sure there's nothing else going on, um, and whether it's isolated, etc. And from there, it was. Um, uh, but uh, from there, it was uh, the doc goes in and he gives you the scenario essentially. Um, so basically, I just wanted to know the percentages, um, what what it was for the basics, and then what it was for people who were forty. It was it's a rare sort of thing, but not so rare when you're forty years old. Um, if you get it, but it's then you've got your better percentages if you're in a decent condition, if you're fit, etc. No reason for it for coming on in their mind as far as it wasn't caused specifically by this, this. It's a bit of a freak thing. In my head, I know 100% how it all played out. And I think it's a lot to do with, with, with stress, etc. but that's another story. And just wearing yourself out, to be honest. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, that, that's where it went. And he said, right, we can do three sessions and one radio or we can do six sessions of chemo and then we likely won't have to do radio uh it'll take it's a 21 day cycle we'll hit you pretty hard with it um because you should be able to handle that we'll see we'll, we'll assess how you can handle that uh and we'll get it done so i was there in there with my wife and um who's just been she's just amazing as simple as that um support from her has just been amazing with the two kids that we've got etc um so we looked at each other and we just said right Let's crack on. Let's get it done. So the decision was to go for six. Arguably better to do six sessions of chemo uh, because of the the tumor, the cancer was in your throat. If you have radiology or radiation therapy in your in your mouth and your throat, it, it can be pretty pretty heavy. Mm. So and it can cause a bit of an effect down the track as well. So um, he said, arguably, you know, it's six to one, half a dozen the other which way you go. But um, because they thought that there was a little bit more elsewhere and it was basically a case of whether it was a stage 1E or a stage 2A, um, which is isolated in the one area of the lump, but or there's potential symptoms elsewhere of, of the lymphoma. Um, so we went for six so we could get rid of it and give it the best option and then not go down the radio, which was um, basically a five, six-month haul of chemo. Right, and... I remember during that time that um, you still continued to play football. Um, you still worked. I don't know how, if you worked as hard as you were working leading up to that time. But um, what was the initial thought? Like, what the first thing you thought of when he said that to you? Um, family was the first. Like, uh, I, that's that wasn't. A, I mean, just going back for it. It was right. Minimum I've got is five years, 
I need to sell a million footballs to set set my family up and the girls and look up, make sure they're perfect. That <laughs> was pretty much my first reaction. Simple. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. that, that was it. Yeah. Uh, how do I make sure that they're sorted? Uh, and then, then it was, we've got a plan. Let's just kick its ass. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing, mate. It's just Amazing really story. That's, that's how it was. So what are we, two years, Dilly Andy? Uh, yeah, so a year and a, a bit. So yeah, this time, I, I finish it up. It's bizarre how the season went, as you said, Dean. We played... Uh, the doc said, can you play? Oh, I said, can I play football? What's the, what can't I do when I'm on chemo? How do you get through chemo? And he said, some people can handle it and they don't even know that they go. They have chemo and they just go through and away they go. And others, bedridden. You know, uh, it hits them really hard. I said, well, what can I or can't I do? Exercise is good, he said. But just be careful and make sure you you eat well and keep your weight up so you can get through each chemo. So my mind basically set to that, right, yeah, well, you've got to push yourself to make sure you're in a position to handle the chemo each time you go through it. So it's a 21-day cycle. You're going for chemo. Your first, you're basically in between day 6 and 11 is the toughest um, when, you know, all the stuff's going through you. And then after that, you start to pick up and then you hit the 21 again again. and, yeah, you get get hit again. So for me, each time it was... um, just get as strong as you possibly can and eat, even if you don't feel like it. Um, whatever you're doing, and for football it was the same. I'm just saying to Morgie, the coach, uh, I don't know if I can play five minutes, 50 minutes. You know, I've I got no idea, Morgie, but um, if I'm playing rubbish, take me off because I don't want to be a passenger. <laughs> Literally, I said, I don't want to be a passenger. I'm not here. I'm just one of the boys. The, the best we get through it is that. And he said, mate, I'll help you do what you need to do. Um, you tell me what you want to do, we'll do it. I went out and played 10 minutes and ended up being 30 minutes and stayed on. And it was, I was sort of a bit of uh, reflux going into the, the stomach, but um, I was obviously playing okay. Um, ended up playing 80 minutes that first game. And uh, the whole season went through and we ended up doing pretty well, didn't we, Dana? Yeah, it was... So, yeah, I just remember seeing you running around and oh, just in shock, you know, when you think about what's happening. And both those stories, you know, and same thing for you as well, Jonesy. First thing you think about is family. And it's, it's always the way, I think, there's a, there's a little, is it an analogy or whatever it is, and you see a policeman, so you slow down and you start driving Everything right, your seatbelt's on, you're indicating, you're driving the speed limit, blah, blah, blah. The policeman goes and then you start doing what you're doing before you got saw the policeman, you know, and it's the same with your health, you know. You know, you both know what you're doing beforehand and you're gradually working yourselves back to that, you know, without even knowing it. Yeah, for me that's been a real kick up the arse to, to get things sorted. I've been talking about it for a while to do some fitness and get back to you know, what I kind of used to be like. Not that I was the fittest person. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Come on. Mate, we've named this show after you and your football performances or yeah. lack thereof. I was I was the best 95 uh, kg striker in, in the show, wasn't I? Come on, mate. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, yeah, so anyway, it's I think it's, mate, incredible story to get through. Where, and where are you now? Are you on the... 
like health wise are you in the clear or can, can you update us where you're at i guess yeah so uh I, I went into we went into remission they call it so it was gone after the half halfway mark of chemo so the third i did six rounds so after the third round when you get that pet scan um it yeah, had it had gone uh so from there it's just getting through the rest of the chemo because you have to do that and then getting the checks every every couple of months uh and now it's out to six months every time i get a checkup um i got one i think a month ago and he's pretty happy where i'm at um so touch wood i'm feeling i get i'm feeling stronger the immune system for me felt like it's taken some time um because as you say running a business you know you can't switch off you've but you've got to be smart um so there's been a mix of that yeah <laughs> i guess yeah. But yeah feeling stronger and you know now it's onwards and upwards there's some exciting stuff and you just got to manage yourself in in the best way to get through it really you know mentally mentally prepare yourself for everything now that's that's the key i think yeah and how, think how did you get through that mentally it was one thing that um a lady said to me yesterday actually at oztag she actually said to me it threw me off a little bit as well she said how are you doing and i was like okay no one's she she knew health like health wise but she kind of clicked into the mental side and it, it, it made me think because the uh, the heart surgeon the other day said, physically you're good, mentally it will rock someone to the core, and it really did in hindsight. So like where where are you kind of sitting with that? Because it's a lot to take in when you got a lot of responsibility and you know you put a lot of weight on your own shoulders to provide and you know all the caveman kind of crap that we we all as blokes think about. Yeah. How did you deal with that, mate? It's a tough one. It is, and isn't it bizarre that it, we have to wait until we go through this sort of stuff to actually say, you know, it's all the man, the bravo crap that we we don't want to listen to or talk about until we get to this stage. I mean, that's really where it all sits. Um, we're all pretty tough on the outset, but uh, the fact is we all, I mean, today, these days, and, and the perfect example is what's going on with, with mental side of things in the game, in football especially, but in general life these days, it's not easy and there's a lot of mental health issues that surround COVID, that surround everyday life, that people all take on themselves. Everyone takes on themselves and it's very difficult for people to talk about it. Um, and that's where, you know, coming into today, I didn't know we were going to talk about this stuff, obviously, and with hearing your situation, Dane. But the fact is, the more we do talk about it and bring awareness to it, mentally, it's hopefully it helps others. Just and it doesn't even matter, even if it's something small, before it gets escalated to the, to the rest of where it shouldn't need to go. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, mentally, I think I think mentally is the key. Like when I first, when I was sort of the first got diagnosed, I went onto YouTube and and listened to a couple of key YouTube videos where there was Lance um, um Lance Armstrong. Yep. Uh, when he went through his cancer battle, a different side of things. It was a type of different cancer. I think it was testicle. Yeah. but it went spread throughout his body i know we're talking chalk and cheese on athlete style here but um you gotta you gotta go out and get a couple of references and i remember watching one that was a negative and that person was quite negative about the situation and and was struggling mentally to handle it and then there was that story of there was the, the youtube ones that were just okay we need to get your head around this and you need to kick its butt so switch the mentality around and I didn't watch another negative video or a or a so not a. It's difficult to explain this because everyone has a different term. But 
there was nothing ever negative that I watched after that or listened to or took on board. Nothing. I could nobody could give it to me. It was no chance. It's not it's not entering my head. I'm not letting it. Let's I'm lucky that I've got it early. Because we got it we caught it early. Like this is a key a key area. Yeah. It came up early and whether the gland they think the glandular fever masked that a little bit. Um but that sort of brought it up too and, and made me get it checked probably earlier than what I would have done. And you having um, that feeling, mate, to go and do it, right? Because most people, me, would probably be the, the one, would wait months and months and months, which I think is very common, and it's too late, right? You, you've left your run too late. Unfortunately, um, there's been, uh, you know, a couple of stories of mates who um, didn't have the opportunity to get the help when it could have been cured or saved, right? Mm. Um, and uh, that, that obviously that helped me uh, push through the next stage. Um, that's another story with, with the football side. As you know, a mate of ours from our football team passed away, old Sash. Um, yep. You know, we've got him on our jersey, uh, his initials, and um, what a champion he was. And he didn't have the chance to completely get it fixed or, or have that it was it was tough at the start different type of cancer i understand but there wasn't the warning signs i guess weren't there so i considered myself very lucky to get it early to be in a position to to actually be able to get through it and then it was i'm not feeling sorry for myself here i'm not going to put it on my kids and my wife it's let's just get it done awesome um and uh, i don't mean it to sound like i'm a dick about it or whatever that's just no, no, no way. It no has way, to be like that. That's yeah. just how my yeah. mentality, totality took it, and and luckily, as I said, luckily that um, you know I've come out touch wood. I've come out to far the other side, and I'll um I'll continue to do so Good. down the track. So, mate, awesome story. Congrats um, on everything you've gone through. It's it's a tough slog. Um, you know, I'm only at the start of it, and I've got a long way to go around. You know, my testing and health and. All the other stuff we've got to do a bit of a deep dive into now. So, mate, well done. Um, on the flip side of that, let's talk about the business. <laughs> that was that was a little bit of left field, but um, you it know, was, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, mate, I know you've built um, an established, you know, deploy football. Um, I've seen you around the traps, you know, around um, from my young fella playing and um, everything. To give us a little bit of insight about you know how did how did you start the business? Probably a good starting point. Deploy. So, um, yeah, without, you know, taking another lot of time and continue to talk. It, it's, a, it's all interesting stuff, mate. Yeah. That's why we're here. So. This will be the first time we go over 50 minutes. We've been trying to hit the 50-minute <laughs> mark. Really? I think we're going to go well over that, mate. <laughs> um, football does fit into the podcast somewhere along the lines, doesn't it? Yeah. And, we're um, talking about balls now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lance Armstrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A reference, right? Uh, um, yeah, so uh, essentially... I got into the into a business as a small shareholder early on into uh, selling football goals, um, which gave us the opportunity to get some contacts and start making some footballs. We, we just did some distribution. Um, unfortunately, that didn't end up where it may have done. I was very naive in those early days. I had no idea about business, um, no idea about how to handle uh, business or I was very wet behind the ears. So it was a big learning curve for me. Um, that didn't end in the best circumstance, but um, it was then a matter of, right, yeah, uh, 
what are you going to do? Are you going to go get a job or are you going to do it and do it better? Are you going to do it and do it better after being in the fetal position, I suppose you could say? And that was really catalyst. I think I spent 60 seconds uh, in bed one morning and go, right, what's the, what's the story? Where are you heading? No, nah, let's get it done. Let's do it, let's do it ourselves. So with, with um, a very supporting customer base that I had early on, uh, the journey for me really started with Deploy Then. Um, we're doing a bit of team where we went overseas. We made sure that the factories were set up uh, and I started to develop the team side of it early on. But then the ball started to become, that was where my passion was really, um, footballs. Uh, it was about, you know, as we were playing growing up, there was a fair amount of consistency, inconsistency in what we were playing with and what the grassroots was playing with over the years. We'd go on the pitch and, you know, four different balls would come on. Yeah. One hard, yeah. one soft, out of shape, decent shape, different touch. It was it would just make a difference on your passing, on the ground you were playing at, the long ball, short yep. balls, control. And we're playing at a decent level, you know. Um, nothing over the top, but a decent level of footy. Uh, so it was about how can we get better value into the market? Surely we can do better than this. And that was where it was for me. Then it was how do we do it better? So I um, cut up pretty much every ball on the market that I thought was worth a grain of salt, a couple of the ones that I didn't, just to see where um, the construction and the thought process went through each brand manufacturer uh, and then set about doing it myself. And that's where it all kicked off. And what makes a good ball, mate? Um, for me, it's pretty much when, you, when it hits your foot, it comes off your foot, you want it to be as comfortable and to do what you ask it to do if your technique's in the right spot. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it, I'm all technique, so I get that. Oh, God. You, <laughs> you need to be, mate. You need, you need yeah, to be when yeah. you don't move so well. That's it. That's it. Um, what, so when you look at, um, you know, an A-League ball, for example, what, you know, is there certain dimensions, specs, or things, weights that go into it? How does that kind of work? Yep, so there's certain specs, obviously, that you need to follow through, you know, your FIFA guidelines, your IMS, uh, etc., that represent the specs that you need to be in to make a decent football. So even if you are in those specs, though, you kind of, there's a very, very... Uh, that might not be a decent quality. football still. Yeah, yeah. It might not be a decent football, yeah. yeah. So I just, um, with the specs that you're working with, then it's about the materials. Each brand manufacturer has their different, men I suppose, uh, mentality or or understanding of how they think a ball should go together. For me, it was about working what, or about understanding what works and, and how I see it coming off the foot, how I see players being treating the ball, Again, whether they're scared to head the ball, whether they're not scared to head the ball, uh, how their technique goes, how the young kids, you know, at four, five, six years old, maybe not two, um, if, can they get it off the ground? You know, simple things, really simple things that are around the traps that you just were so inconsistent. You just walk around the grassroots of the game and kick, the balls were too uh, far too pumped up. You could hear the kids kicking rocks. You could see the balls roll and they're out of shape. Mm. Um Little things like that just bugged me. <laughs> and I thought, let's just concentrate on some key core areas um, that that need to be in the market for development. And that, that's basically it. So you could, there's lots of different materials that you can use, new technologies that you can bring into the game. 
um, as you've seen with, with the Adidas balls and the, the World Cup balls or the Nike balls, the Premier League balls, they all take, di- take different paths, I guess, um, through each of the technologies, whether they work, uh, maybe they step back. You know, uh, mm. lots of different times. It's about testing. Is there any um, variation on it that you can play around with? Like, like I'm a golf nut, right? You can see the golf crap everywhere in here. So, you know, you, there's a new ball that comes out every year with a slightly tweaked dimple design or it's got an inner core that's a little bit different that gives you more spin, more trajectory, whatever. So with a football perspective, does that change too much around the design? Or I know World Cup, World Cup time, everyone talks about... The ball swerves too much, or you know, there's you know, there's different different spins on it. How how do you guys work behind that behind the scenes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you 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 basically, I've worked around the comfortable side of it, I suppose, if you could say, of just being a more comfortable ball to play with, off your foot control, etc. So it needs these days. I think you need more cushion, um, but you need the dynamics in the air to to make it do what you need it to do. So there's depth in the in the panelling uh the panelling in general there's so many different types six eight twelve twenty six panel thirty two panel balls and then different materials around that so surrounding the panelling um and the depth to use which is a key aspect to it um in this whether it's stitching hand stitch machine stitched or or um thermo bonded panels which are glued together what's thermo bonded it's um it, it's heat it, it's the panels are um, attached to or bonded together um, to the outer surface of the ball by a, a thermo heat process okay. as opposed to a hand stitched which is thread and stitching do they, thread do they do that for durability or is it a weight thing uh, it's a little bit of there's a couple of different reasons that you would do it um, latest technology yes um, different speed in manufacturing and production sure uh, and a level of um, less less human error in a sense um, and it takes a bit quicker to make a football I think um, you know hand stitching you, it takes two hours for roughly for one person to stitch a ball is that right yeah. are all the top balls the match balls hand stitched or what are they uh, they're actually moving now these days are a combination yep. you know Adidas is thermo bonded the, the top level ball that started from the Jubilani I'm pretty sure that was the first one um, yep. with their thermo bonding um, they went for the roundest and Fastest sort of ball ever, and um, that had its own, you know, I won't say issues, I guess. It was a different ball for people to kick and to trial. Uh, the movement in the air, obviously, so it took a little bit to master. A lot of those the Germans did it quite well in that, that World Cup. Mm. Um, you know, Nike are more down that uh, hand stitch path, but then they're moving to, you know, they've got like a, uh, what's the word for it I'm looking for now? It's an embossed grooves. Yeah, um. and what makes deploy better than the other balls, mate? What's your, you know, what's your, um, you know, what makes a deploy ball a deploy ball? I think I, I think we're more consistent. So we've taken what's out there in the market and made it work better. Um, that's probably the best way I can do it. So we hold things with the bladders um, and the backings. We work with the, the latest technology materials and basically mix and match the construction. And the bladder side of things, so it holds air, it keeps its shape, um, but it, it's playable. That were the three, uh, and it was comfortable to play with. So you get your value for money out of the ball, but you get the quality of the football as well. Um, players are very 
different in how they see things, but it's basically what they want is something that they can do their job in the best way possible. So you got to put th- that. That's where it sits. I, I think we're by far. Uh, well, I won't say by far. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Your business, Feedback mate. tells me. <laughs> feedback tells me. I'll say that that um, we're hitting the best value in the market as far as price point at each price point from training right through to professional match we're the best value and quality in the market awesome mate and where can we find deploy footballs uh you can find them at deployfootball.com uh you can find them at a couple of uh resellers around the traps in different areas um but uh basically online and we've got a warehouse we're just moving into now uh, in Carringbar. Awesome. And I, I know a lot of the local clubs use them. I know, well, different associations are using them nationally now. I know statewide, I'm guessing nationally. As They're well. everywhere. Every field I go to, I see a deploy football or kid run around with them. I like how the colours, you can see them from a mile away. Um, yeah, decent footballs. They're, uh, we use them in our 35s games. We're very lucky <laughs> to always have a decent football, but I know exactly where Andy's coming from. Remember back in the days, training down at Forest Road and there'd just be that one good ball amongst the 18 and if we are doing shooting, you'd be sprinting off to make sure you got that ball again so you could just have that one decent shot with a half-decent ball, you know. So it's it's a great reason of why he's doing it and, yeah, the balls are brilliant, mate. The kids still do that, by the way. Still. (laughs) Even even in my boy, um, my son's team, they still do that and go and chase two or three balls only. So So do the grown-ups. It's a a real buzz to see it, actually. You know, see your brand grow. You just don't think about that sort of stuff. You think, you do, but you just head down, bum up to get it going and then working. And obviously, so super critical. (laughs) I'm very critical of myself and what we do. Um, So I expect a lot. So seeing the kids come into the shop and... Uh, at Fosworths or kicking it around in the outer and around the grounds and you'll see them pick up the ball before they'll pick up the other grounds. Yep. And you go, rightio, we're doing something well here. And then that's that's the, that's a real buzz. But, yeah, we're, we got um, eight, eight or nine associations. We're official partners within uh, New South Wales. We partner up. Um, we've got some footballs for some clubs in, in the ACT, uh, Queensland, um, Brisbane City, um, and... Uh, Melbourne, we're a football Vic license, match ball license partner. We've got a few clubs down, down there that work with us, um, Brighton, Glenire, et cetera. Um, and uh, we're pretty much, we're in New Zealand. We've got uh, a, a distributor in New Zealand who moves a few footballs now. So it's all sort of starting to kick off now. Pre-COVID, we had a few things in place to go a bit further, um, but that's on hold for the moment. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to... To uh, taking it worldwide, to be honest, that's where uh, that's what the goal is to get them worldwide and develop quality. Fantastic, mate. Um, anyone looking, I guess, for next season? I know everyone's starting to plan already, aren't they, for next season? Um, get on to Andy, get on to deploy football, um, get your orders in. You know, we want to plug, we want to support local business and good guys, really. Um, let's move away from these majors, you know, the Nikes and the Adidas. 100%. They all make rubbish uh, footballs. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Andy's an official sponsor of the False 10 uh, podcast now as well, Andy. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Um, he will have to be now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A stitch up, that is. To, yeah. <laughs> um, mate, my, I'll give you my uh, my home address too for some gear. So, um, <laughs> But uh, more importantly, I know you two in the background, um, you know, been working on a, a pretty exciting project. I, I've heard bits and pieces of it along the way. Um, 
who wants to start that off? And so there's a new product um, um, developed, I guess, um, with Dean and well, – who's Dean? Hefo, I should say, <laughs> sorry, and Andy called Heading Pro. W- what What is it, boys? Um, how did it come along? Yeah, look, this is one where we've been chatting about for – a good couple of years now i reckon best part of three years and um it's something that i think bubbling under the surface is a topic in football that keeps coming up but then goes quiet but then heading in football will come up again and concussions and things like that so i guess the way that all started was um 2016 early 2017 um you know, for me, I was lucky enough to never have any concussion or any injuries like that during my playing career. I finished playing and um, had, went into a charity match over in Perth against the Man United Legends and um, suffered my first concussion. And it was really one of those ones where you just didn't understand what it was. There was a lot of memory loss. It took time to kind of recover from that. Um, after about three months in my role up at the Central Coast, I was having a kick around and, and playing some football tennis and just from football tennis in one-on-one, as we all know, a game that everyone loves playing at training and we've all done it before and you, you pop it up so you can just head it over the net because that's where you get your power and you feel like you can score the most points. So in the, in a game of football tennis, I actually gave myself concussion again, probably three months after the initial um, impact. So it just, again, from that moment, I was. That's when I realised, geez, I, I've done that through heading a football. Um, so that's when I just started kind of having a bit more of a think about, you know, what what we can do to try and make it safer for players. Um, my kids were at that age where all they wanted to do was head footballs as well, and it was, you know, and I'd be like, no, we're not, no heading that ball. It's it's not safe. Um, let's do something else. So. You've just heard the reason why um, Andy's done what he's done in, in Deploy Football. And for me, it was a no-brainer to go to Andy because we've known each other for so long and and just had start the conversation about trying to bring out a football that um, is obviously softer, lighter weight, um, you know, that, that players can use safely because at the end of the day, we have a duty duty of care to protect our players. And for us, from the start, uh, the player welfare has been the most important aspect of what we're doing. And so to come up with a ball that's that's lightweight, that still plays like a normal football, um, that kids can use safely, um, you know, that's when Andy started to put his science hat on and his lab coat and went to work on the ball, and here we are. And when you say lighter... How does it perform and what does it actually do, Andy? Like, how does it, how does it work on a, on a functionality compared to a standard ball? Uh, so the basics behind it, when, when Dean came and, and talked to me about it, was, well, we need to make it lighter, we need to make it softer, but we need to make it playable. Three, I know it sounds basic and, it, and, and really it is, it comes down to that. That's what you need to do to make it feasible so kids can get the best out of it and players can get the best out of it coaches can get the best out of it those three aspects so it's how do you design a ball that can do that as close as possible to a real football or a match day football for instance even a training ball um so that was it mucking around with different materials the qualities the thicknesses of 
the materials, um, the foams, the quality of the foams, the backing, the bladder, stitching, but you also got to put it in a price point, right? So the first uh, level of Heading Pro was born after a couple of years of testing in the market, as simple as that. So Dean was putting his somewhat half-decent left foot through it. Um, I'd make the ball, he'd go, right, what do we need to do? Like, you, can you make it lighter? Can you make it a bit more softer? Um, and go from there and then I'd go and do what I do. I've got one in my hand. It looks awesome. I will say that. I like the uh, the colours on it. And the weight is considerably lighter, obviously, as we've just said. But it, Well done, Josie. <laughs> good observation. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that heart operation did you justice. The world are good. It's really smartened me up, doesn't it? <laughs> Um, and wh- and what's the and how is it going to be used? Um, what's the plan? You know, um, what's the theory behind it? Like how how's this going to be integrated? I guess in um, in everybody's training. Well, look, it's it's something that every club, every player needs. Um, it's it's a part of the game. It's a skill that's never going to leave the game. You know, so um, there's been recent studies that from the age of 10 to 12, the incidence of headers within football just increases dramatically, you know. So I think in some, in the States, it's banned from 10 and under. In the UK, it's 12 and under. So no heading? No uh, heading at all. So, okay. what, so, so during, in a game, sorry, just a, in a game scenario, ball comes up. Well, of course, they have do, to do head they stop it then. the game? Or is it no, no, they, they, they would have to head the ball. And this is, this is the whole point of Heading Pro, right? Because what we're saying is that we can introduce them to Heading in a safe and controlled environment with a ball that's not going to cause them any damage as opposed to banning it altogether between the ages of 10, 12, whatever country you're in. Then all of a sudden you're a teenager. Some kids are a lot bigger than others. Some can kick a ball a lot harder than others. And you're asking a person that, or a kid that's never headed the ball before to now put his head on something in a game. And there's a, there's other things, uh, factors involved in that. So a lot of concussions and a lot of impacts and injuries that happen are actually body to body or elbow to head or head to head. All right. So one of the main things when you start to learn about time and te- technique in football and, and heading a football properly is you know how to, to win a ball with players around you. Um, you probably know the timing of it as well, where, yeah, I'm not going to win this header, so I'm probably just going to put myself in a position where I think the player who is going to win it is going to head the ball and I'm going to intercept it. And But all that thinking and all that decision-making isn't there if you haven't headed a ball before that, that time. So what we're saying is that um, in a safe, controlled environment for coaches, parents that we've got we've even got a series of introduction introduction to heading videos for coaches parents players to to have a look at to use and to better prepare them for what's to come in football as i said there's a recent study the numbers jump up dramatically uh, between 10 to 12 i think it triples in the amount of headers in games and these were games in australia over three seasons um, that they were looked at and I think the other part of it is these common mistakes. When you go to a field on a Sunday, Saturday, you know, eyes are closed, shoulders are up, arms by their side, 
Um, we've spoken about timing, not knowing when it's safe to actually put your head in somewhere or if you're going to have a head clash. So all these little bits and pieces, we feel the heading pro ball will help better prepare players for and reduce injuries in those way rather than creating fear and, and just banning it. We want kids to be confident and comfortable in the skill. Yeah, a lot of a lot of things are, um, with poor technique that that would cause concussion, wouldn't it? You know, that's 100%. the obvious one. You yeah. you get your head in the wrong angle, um, you have separation, I guess, somewhere in the neck or the jaw, and that can can put you out. Top uh, of the head, if if I've, you know, you see it every week. Uh, strikers do it every week when they chase down a goalkeeper and they jump and turn their backs. If that keeper hits it at full force and it hits the player at the back of the head, they're going down. They're going down. They're going to be a little bit rattled from it. So can you stop that? Probably not, right? But there's just things that and we talk about education and um, knowing those moments as well of when you can put your head in there, maybe a bit more education on around how to close down and not to jump and turn your back, you know, just keep your body big but face the ball. Um, it's all about that primary um place where you make that first primary contact to head a ball as well that it's on your forehead you're looking through it um that your mouth's closed in case you do cop a knock from someone else that you're protecting your jaw and um the chance of being knocked out there's so many factors that we feel just by banning it it's it's not going to be able to um you know put it's not going to fly simple as that yeah you're not going to ban heading from football um simple as that so education is the key get the right tools and i do know uh, long-term effects or sorry short and long-term effects of young kids um, getting head trauma or concussions um, does affect growth does affect hormone levels Um, there's a whole series of things behind that Um, a doctor friend of mine we kind of went through some studies for our young fella and that that could be a big reason as to why he does jiu-jitsu and he's gone out a few times so um, you know, from not tapping and you know being a boy, um, and it's quite serious. You know, so right. I know I know his instructor is very staunch on making sure that they're out early. Um, but in terms of growth and development, it can have an enormous effect, and I think that relates back to this um, this type of ball. It's critical that people are learning the right technique at the right ages, um, and 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 integrating that into um, a part of the the training process from an early age um, is there any i guess what's the science behind is there recommendations around what ages or how often you should be you know training yeah so look at this stage as we've said in the states it's just banned from 10 under or under 10s in the uk it's under 12s in australia um I mean for us one of the key as- i'll go off on a little bit of a tangent here so we've spoken about um you know how andrew brought an idea to life and then um little bits and pieces you know soft playable all the way down to the colors and being easy to pick up for the naked eye the the particular colors that we've got on there then we needed someone to actually test our ball to make sure it it does what we say it does because for us it's it's not about anything else other than having something there to um as skill development but to protect players and so we got put on to um dr kerry peak who uh through a friend of heading pro in peter hargett football new south wales uh, i rang him and said this is what we're doing um 
you know, what do you think? And it just so happened that uh, Dr. Kerry Peak was running the tests at that same time. So we got in touch with her and um, she was more than happy to include our heading pro ball as part of the testing. And um, it was tested alongside a real lightweight ball. I bought one or two for my boys for Christmas. So that you, It's basically a petrol station ball and it's you kick it and you can kick it any way you want, but it just swings all over the place. So they wanted to kick a free kick like Cristiano Ronaldo and make the ball swing and move. So it was tested against that. Uh, that was about 180 grams, that ball, I believe. Ours was sitting around the 250 mark. And then you had some match balls from Adidas and a couple other ones. And it was shown to do exactly what we say it, we hoped it would show and up to 50% less head acceleration than the other balls. Um, and it was only a fraction higher than the 180 gram lightweight ball as well. So the key for that was that it showed that Andy was on the money with with the weight to ensure that we had the playability, that we're on the money to have that soft cushioning because they say you can deflate balls as well. Well, we've got the soft cushioning so you don't have to deflate it. Um, and that also um, it decreased the head acceleration and almost like the impact, I guess, when heading by 50% on other balls. So all those things put together now um, – put us in a position where we are today to um yeah crack on and get it out there and get as many players using it as possible yeah exactly right dean um what dean's saying there it's all about education 100 percent. you can't ban things you've got to get the education but then having the right tools in that play what you mentioned there about the cushion and and the air in the ball when you reduce the air out of the general ball a uh, football it doesn't do its job really it's no longer a um, football and it that's right and it still doesn't have the characteristics of a lighter softer ball so you need to play that in and that's part of the the construction that we put together there is that you can have that level that's taken it off an edge instead of being pumped up to its full amount and it will still play nicely but it'll also be bounced back uh, it's it's got a it's the, the, the foam and the cushion in there helps it uh, bounce back and play better awesome and who are you guys talking to at the minute um i know you're, you're doing some um working with some different partners to get the product out there and talking to so where do we expect to hear it and see it over the next little bit i think it's just look to be honest all we have done from now is is set up some social media pages um set up a website and you know we're just posting the progress that we're making on the ball um, you know, obviously, Kerry Peak and making sure that getting our ball as part of her research has been a huge part of, of where we are today. Um, and look, the work that she's doing and it's going to continue to change the game. She's done work for UEFA and, and FIFA. So um, just to have our ball and within her research and to know that it does what it actually does, it's creating traction on its own. Um, you know, so you do a social media post and, and people want to know about it because it's a it's an important topic, something that's, um, like I said, it bubbles under the surface, it goes away, but then it comes back again. You know, there's an English captain, um, they call it the forgotten captain of England, 
and he's uh, in his 60s, I think, and suffering from dementia. There's some horror stories out there. There was another player in his 60s as well that, um, you know, was struggling from all these things and started to choke on his food in front of his family and stuff like that. So there's there's things happening and, and you know, we, we need to make sure that our kids aren't suffering because we haven't made decisions. And all we can do is provide something that does everything that we're saying it does. Um, and it's just up to people with, you know, duty of care and, and what they want um, after that. So, so far we've had, you know, um, the guys at Fox Sports – wanting to chat about it, um, Sydney Morning Herald, um, and that's on a, you know, a, a larger kind of scale and, and where it goes, it goes. Like I said, we're not really pushing it too hard. Andrew's got a lot of um, contacts through his Deploy Football and the associations, which I'll let him talk about, which is critical as well because that's where the masses are, you know, um, and that's where the most kids are that we want to keep safe. I will say you two have been very humble about this product. The product is a damn good product. It needs to be out there. And I think, you know, anyone that listens to this podcast, mum, dad, <laughs> please share it out there. But, um, you know, it is important that your um, your local teams get on board with this style of product. Your associations get on board and they will be on board um, and get the messaging out there. How, how far away is this? Is this available now? Can I buy this? The minute yeah you can buy online um now uh so we've just really f- made the where the website feasible for people to purchase on um the associations we've you can pre-order the ball so they'll be available our first couple of boxes will come out um mid-november uh and i'd say by the end of uh, december pro- hopefully before christmas actually we'll, we'll see some product so um, we'll have some more news on that, but if uh, if there's orders that come through now, it's likely they're going to be with you before Christmas. Awesome. We'll, we'll add the, all the details anyway on our link um, and, and all our socials, and obviously you guys will continue to, to do an add-on to this as well. Yeah. Um, any, Andy, sorry, mate. Yeah, I, the, the associations have been very supportive uh, from talking to the to the people in that space and the general managers around the board that I deal with and the partnerships we have. So Football New South Wales, as you say, everyone you talk to is um, super keen on it. Uh, Canterbury have come on with their first order of balls with uh, the pre-order uh, for 300 or something like that, isn't it, Dean? Um, awesome. So they've already put their hat in the ring and, and love the concept. And um, I think, yeah, I, I think we'll, we'll see some pretty good action with it soon. It's exciting coming into Christmas, you know. Well it's done, Killing it, doing very well. Yeah, very, very happy, very proud, and I guess, um, yeah, hopefully it makes a difference. Well done. Um, Andy, we're going to talk about some other football as well. We'll get away from our own uh, sob stories. I shouldn't say sob <laughs> stories, but our own, our own personal stories. And um, A-League, mate, uh, uh, Hef, what, what's been happening, mate? I know we're not, what are we, a month and a bit away from the season to start again and, and get rolling any news on that front? Yep. So December 27th will be round one for both the A-League and the W-League. Now, I know, I think the Western Australian border is still closed at the moment. And from what I heard, it's it doesn't look like reopening until March. So I, I'm not sure how that side of things is going to work. Maybe I'm wrong and something's changed in the last two weeks. The goalposts move every other day. Um, I know Wellington's going to base themselves in Wollongong for the season, the A-League season. 
So that's a massive step for them, especially for that first couple of months anyway. Um, they're going to try and pump out as many games as they can early on in the season. It's been a lot of movement of players, um, some coaches as well. Uh, look, I think for us in the W League space, for myself, it's it's been quite difficult to um, attract international players. Not attract international players, but to be able to get them because everyone's leagues have changed dates and things just aren't kind of measuring up. We had a lot of Matildas and Aussie girls. I think there was like 30-odd players that went overseas uh, just before COVID hit. So whether or not some of those girls come back for the W League. But it's a, it's a massive opportunity for the younger players coming through to, to write their own story, you know, because there has been a little bit of talk about uh, visas, Matildas and, and these kind of things. But what an opportunity for someone else to put their hand up and and basically say, hey, talk about me. I, I can play football as well. So really looking forward to seeing who steps up. And it'll be a similar story in the A-League as well. A lot of young A-League coaches former players at their clubs. You've got Grant Brebner at uh, Melbourne Victory, Richie Garcia in Perth. So a lot of former players um, as well and a lot of younger players getting signed and getting opportunities. It's been a bit of an exodus to India as well. People filling their boots and so they should. Yeah, career's only short. Um, but, yeah, interesting times. Just going to be good to see some football again soon. And what's the plan with the season, mate? So we're starting 27th of December, sorry? Yep. Um, and how long will the season go for? Will it be a full season? Um, full amount of fixtures. Full amount of fixtures for both A-League and W-League. Uh, just whether it's compressed into a shorter period of time. Awesome. Uh, MacArthur FC will be part, uh, part of the A-League as well this time around? Yeah, making big moves. I mean, it all starts from the top with their coach. And Ante Milicic, obviously a very good coach. has been around the game for a long time. Really... Um, you know, I think last year was his first his first head coach role was with the Matildas and he did a fantastic job there and now he goes on to MacArthur but he's worked for some of the best with Ange and, and Popper. Looking forward to seeing what he does. He's got some good people around him with Mile Sturjovski and um, the goalkeeper coach down there, Glenn Moss, and a few other people and the players they've signed as well. So they're making some big moves, to be fair. And, you know, the Wanderers are looking really good. I know I'm biased, but uh, the new coach that's come in is... Um, he's doing and saying everything right and he, he says himself there's there's one thing about saying you're going to do something and then there's you when you do it um, and you know he's shown that so far and in, in his planning and the the kind of things he's saying um, you know we all know football it's all about what have you done for me lately how you know um, what, what was the last game you won and things like that so it's always got that element to it as a coach. But, yeah, I think the Wanderers are looking good. And most of the other teams are well. Everyone's just slowly bubbling away and, and move, making their moves how they need to. A few teams are heading over to Dubai, Abu Dhabi, for the Asian Champions League. They're going to be there for the full group stage. So that's your Perths, your Sydneys and um, another team. But, yeah, like I said, I'm all about W League, mate. So... And, w and you've got a um, – so what's happening in your camp? Can you share anything? Um, you've got a new coach that's been announced a week or two ago? Uh, yeah, so we brought in Ante Kovic, absolute legend of the club, the game, um, good friends, known each other for a long time, played together. We've actually coached with each other before, which is good. So um, him alongside Michael Beecham, 
who I've basically known all my life as well, through football life anyway. Um, Kath's back, Michaela, we've got a new physio. So coaching staff-wise, couldn't be happier with um, the team we've put together. And we've got a lot of our players back from last year, lost a couple overseas. Obviously, the internationals aren't coming back, but we've, we've put together a very good squad that we're very happy with, a lot of young players coming through as well. And now we just sprinkle a, one or two internationals in there and we'll be good to go as well. Awesome. Um, overseas, uh, well, sorry, before we jump over that, under-23 Socceroos, um, they've got a fixture pretty soon as well. Yeah, there's a camp going on at the moment um, and they've got a couple of games against, uh, I think they're playing Sydney FC maybe. MacArthur, I think's one. Sydney MacArthur. It'd be good to get out and watch the MacArthur one just to see how they're going. Um, sorry, keep going. Yeah, so... I think they're just putting a kit together a few camps just to get the players together because obviously the last six, seven months there hasn't been anything. Um, yeah, so what's the plan with international football at the moment, especially Australia? We've got um, quarantine and, how you know, obviously they're playing games internally. Um, the idea under-23s is they're going to go to Japan, right, for the Olympics, yep. if, if and when that actually happens. But I think the plan is for next year, right? For Yeah, well... You tell Olymp- we've researched this as well. The Olympics is always <laughs> the Olympics is always under twenty threes for the for the men's and all age for the women's. But um, yeah, we've got two week quarantine. So anyone who wants to come into Australia for a game of football would have to isolate on their own for two weeks in a hotel room and pay for the hotel room themselves. And so there's no international football for Australia for for a little while. A lot of the teams in Europe are still playing. They got it's. It's chaos over there, mate, there. Well, they're on two-week international break at the moment. They're all playing now. So, you know, it's does, yeah. that, does that put Australian football or Socceroos backwards a little bit, not being able to have get the teams together and be competitive? Oh, it's, it's not ideal, that's for sure. It's You know, you definitely want your team together. You want them playing. Um, it's just so much uncertainty, mate. Who knows? I think they're just – everyone's just doing the best they can under the circumstances, and that's all you can do. It's certainly an interesting landscape. Mm. It just changes all the time, you know. In Europe, they not seem they're only just starting to get a bit concerned about COVID now, and so that's why a few Matildas are flying home because um, one or two leagues are going to isolation, and the girls are thinking, "Well, I'm I'm getting out of here. I'm not isolating in a foreign country on my own. I'm going to get back to Australia as quick as I can." Um, so there's a little bit of that happening now, but yeah. I think we're in a good spot here in terms of COVID, but yeah, I think Europe's starting to go backwards for sure. I'd, ima- I'd imagine that uh, for the the women's side of it, the girls who have just the first time really experienced international football and well overseas football playing for European clubs, I'd imagine it would be very difficult for some you've got to be girl- away from their families. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And you've got girls who are who are in top Spanish clubs, for example, or um, top clubs in in France, England, yeah, like mm. England's all right because they've got a little bit of that infrastructure behind them, so they can kind of keep their promises. Yeah, you're going to be training on this field, you're going to have physios, you're going to have this. But if you go to some of these other clubs, it's it's still very young the the women's game. Yeah, there's a big push behind it, but some of these clubs over there aren't exactly following through with their promises in terms of treatment of players. Um, where they're trained, how they get looked after, you know. I mean, uh, and that's the way it is for foreign players. I remember when I had um, 
osteitis pubis in Germany after a month. I didn't get any treatment. I just got a gym program and sent up to the gym on my own for six weeks straight, just doing core work. You know, no, never, never got a rub, never got any, because they didn't give a shit. You know, you've you've just come from another country. They're going to look after their own first and foremost. So I was just up in the gym on my own, shithole of a gym as well for a Bundesliga club. And yeah, just had to do it on your own. So I think the girls are seeing that and it's tough when you're like that. So um, when you don't feel as though you've got that support there. So um, most of the girls have stayed and are, are doing really well because the Matildas are... They're good footballers, so um, they're doing well. And, yeah, I guess it just depends on everything else outside of football. Internationally, uh, I'm guessing you boys have been watching Premier League and all the other leagues going on. What are your thoughts? No crowds. That must be a big revenue killer for all these big clubs that are getting, you know, 50,000, 60,000 per game. I think it's going to be uh, – really, I, I don't know whether you see the – the potential issues and for another few years, to be honest. I, I really don't know how it's going to play out, but there's certainly going to be some, uh, let's say, a tightening of, um, you know, funds. transfers, flun- funds and, and the like over the next few years. I think that will tighten up for sure. Um, whether that's actually a bad thing, as long as we get through this COVID in a good space and we can move on through it, get the crowds back, um, you know, maybe it might be a bit of a leveller. Um I don't know. It's going to be – it's real tricky. Which team do you follow, Andy? Oh, <laughs> don't. Don't. Spurs supporter, mate. Yeah. Oh, that's disgusting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. i got a caveat for him. My old man uh, grew up in England, North London. Okay. In, uh, and yeah, it's in the family, that's for sure. Yeah, it's in the family. So I've grown up watching uh, your FA, FA Cups and your, your Gascoigne, your Linekers, and I've stuck solid through thick and uh, plenty of thin. Yeah, to be honest, when I was younger, I wanted a Tottenham jersey. And our friend went to the UK. Oh, sorry. And I was brought home a uh, Manchester United jersey. I was about eight. And I stuck with it. And I, luckily I picked the right team wow. through that era. So Devastating for you. Well, yeah, so yeah, there you well, go. And I haven't jumped off the ship since. We had, <laughs> we had a good decade or so there for a little bit. But I think just going back to what Andy said with the funds and the levelling up, there's a side of it that I feel I, I can kind of see, you know, with, with no crowds, that you've got that – you've got to be a top, top player – that you perform and having 70,000 people boo you or cheer you or any any of that kind of stuff, it doesn't affect you. And being able to, as if you're just having a kick around with your mate and do things with the ball that you don't have to think about, it just it's, it's what you do. Sometimes when you walk onto a pitch and there's a lead up to a big game, it can get the better of some players, but there's, there's nothing like that at the moment. So you're, you're playing, you're talking about Premier League and, and these guys, these leagues where to even step foot in the country or in the door, you've got to have that level of ability, right? But the thing that separates them a lot can be injury, a coach that likes you, but confidence. Confidence is huge in sport. And what you're seeing now is no-name teams coming out and giving it to the big guns. There's there's no fans. Uh, It doesn't matter if I make a mistake. Who cares? I'm just going to keep playing. And just that one statement alone changes people's careers who cares about that mistake next action and it's actually you're seeing it from every single player basically you know so it's just whether they go and jump on their phones afterwards and look at social media about how many people hate them or like them is (laughs) they're all very quiet i know um i follow the manchester united stuff and the players are riding the wave right they get absolutely walloped by tottenham 
you know, don't even want to talk about you that. Got but you got what it. Was, right. What was the score? Sorry? Uh, I think it was 2-1. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, then you jump into, you know, you don't hear boo from any of the players. You know, you know you've got a lot of those guys that are posting all the time and um, don't hear anything. Then they go out and beat PSG. They all jump on and post something. You know, they're heroes again. It's tricky, right? Then it's they go uh, Lipsig, five, 5 zip and then they come out and get played a horrible game against Arsenal, lose 1-0. Um, and they they just ride the, the peaks and troughs, you know. And I think the big game players, the Pogbas and and these kind of guys that are talented through the roof, but maybe don't have that extra um, level of drive because they're not playing in front of sixty thousand people. You know, is that is that a is that a big um, thing for those kind of guys or not? Very very good point that you just raised, mate. Yeah, hundred percent. As if if you're playing football, of course. F- it depends. Like for me, I could go out on the back lawn right now and kick a ball against the wall for f- the next four hours on my own. Like I love the game. I can't breathe without it. But I guess, yeah, for some of these players, they love that bit of... Um, the showman. Like, yeah. The showmanship. Yeah, 100%. They right. love it. I, I, no, that's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if there is an element of that in there as well. So it's kind I th- of levels I think, it more. I think that's creeping into it for sure. Now you, you, you just... You mentioned that point and you see the difference in the men. It comes to mentality again, right? How strong are you in your mentality if it just means you have to train? That's it. You don't get to do the showmanship. You don't get to do any of that stuff. You just have to train and do your best every week, week in, week out, and impress that manager. Well, that's a given anyway, right? In any, you know, because to get to that point, that's your cherry on top. And that's the only bit that everyone sees. But there's countless hours of the grind that you do on your own whether it's in a gym on your own or you you know that that's a given but you you do think ah oh, sweet i get to play in front of a big crowd this week you're going to you know i remember playing against the wanderers when you know towards the end of the a league playing against the wanderers and you're like oh great how good's this but you you didn't fear the crowd you were like we get to play in front of a proper football crowd yeah. And going to some of these big stadiums as well, where that's normally they're they're a fortress. Like you look at Barcelona, have gone to the mm-hmm. toilet. The Messi, we, we were talking about Messi before. You know, he's copping a lot of stick that he's walking around and throwing his toys out of the cot a little bit. Um, you know that that that's always been a big thing. I think you'd go to that particular home ground in you know maybe in the Premier League or something like that, and they wouldn't lose many games at home, but they would lose all of them away. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, it's, it's an interest, Some, interesting dynamic. Sometimes you're beaten when you walk into the stadium, right? Um, just through that, that fear factor and, is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Dean shaking Dean his head there. He's, no got a, he's got a tough men- no he's, he's got a tough mentality. But <laughs> Not I, beaten until the I whistle think, goes. I think it'll be exciting to see when the crowds do come back and just the passion that comes back with football on the pitch and in the crowds. I think yeah. I, I can't wait for that time to happen. Um, but right now you look at that, just looking at the Premier League table again. <laughs> wow, wow! It's those those the managers in the competition now in the Premier League, especially, and the quality of players and the depth of you know your bottom teams, your your relegation battle teams can really, really put it to those bigger teams to say, "Rightio, come and come and beat us." You have to be beaten. You have to do more because they're defending bloody well, like really well. Their structures now, except for Manu. Yeah, they're in between that space right now because they need to attack, mm. you know. But those teams, they're so hard to beat, those defensive teams now who who really have a good structure about them and the managers set them up knowing 
what's coming up at, yeah. at them. And it's it's great to see. What, what do you think tactically, Dean, completely left field, we're going, going off in tangents a little bit. Um, I mentioned to you the other day about uh, 4-4-2 Diamond, the man you played at Leipzig. I know you didn't watch the game because mm. you wouldn't have. Mm. Um, Formation-wise and strategy, like the, the uh, like Andy just mentioned, um, the mid-table teams now play a very, I think it's almost a 5-3-2-1 or something like that um, kind of formation. Like they too play, many players. But oh, yeah. whatever, yeah. <laughs> My maths is not real good. Oh, no, you just, the one's the keeper, right? Yeah. Yeah, the one's a keeper, yeah. yeah. But playing that five at the back and then playing counter-attacking football, a lot of the Premier League kind of set up that way and then you've got you know, Man City, Liverpool that pretty much stick to 4-3-3. Three, three. Yeah. Um, what, what's the difference st- strategically for some of these teams? Uh, look, if you're, if you're going into a game knowing that, okay, I'm playing against Liverpool, for example, um, they've got two wingers who are extremely fast and and like to make runs in behind okay so i need to limit that space behind our final line all right so we'll set ourselves up towards the 18 yard box so when they do slip passes through or anything long it's going to our keeper or it's going for a goal kick perhaps you know that's the the idea and then as it's evolved then instead of looking for those longer passes they're looking for getting those players in between the back line and the midfield of the opposition and then slipping little passes in behind. And I guess it just, I don't know, it's its pick your poison a little bit when you play against some of the top teams, whether you want to be on the front foot, get in their face and make it hard for them, um, whether you want to sit off and, um, and risk playing out or take no risk. It, it depends on the coach and, and the football and... And how, you know, how certain you are in your philosophy of how you want to play the game, I guess. It, it's changed so much. I mean, the type of footballers now that are needed to be able to break down those counter-attacking teams that you guys have spoken about, you need to have players who can pick up the ball in between the three of us now, which is the space of a five metres, and be able to turn and play the next pass or dribble through us, you know. And they've got to be, be able to do that in the time it takes for the ball to arrive to them before we minimise the space as well. So there's so many little things now and the level of play has grown so much, grown so much. Um, you know, I watched a Champions League game, Bayern Munich, Man U. The spaces between the lines, between the defending team, back line and their front line is a good 50 metres at least, right? So if you think about players being able to pick up the space, ball in between midfield defenders attackers and you look at the game today and the lines are 25 meters so you've got you know 11 20 odd players in 25 meters here and it's compact sideways as well because when they're on the left the whole team tries to be on the left side of the field it's all about the press it's compact Mm. yeah so can you receive the ball under pressure and you see 1v1s all the time and this is a big thing i believe in um in in sap and Everywhere you go and you see one-on-ones just facing each other. But that's not the game. I I need to be able to receive the ball knowing where they are coming behind me. Do I roll them? Can I play around the corner and pick it up on the other side of the defender? Um, Yeah, so a lot more needs to be done around protecting the ball and backwards facing 1v1s. Do you think the the old school mentality of managers has changed? Like who do you think when they're setting up teams now – 
I know Solskjaer's copped an absolute bollocking about his strategy and um, his tactics. Who's the who do you kind of look at for formations and strategic? For you know, Mourinho has probably reinvented himself, but he also plays to his strengths with the players that he has. Um, Ancelotti was doing very well with Everton. They were kind of you know pushing pretty hard. You got a lot of these old school guys, but then you got some young blood coming through. Well, not not young blood, but younger managers that have got a different um, philosophy in football. Like, who do you look at? Yeah, look, there's there's definitely ways, um, you know, to to win games by analysis for sure, to a certain extent. Um, and you know, for me, if if I know I've got a game plan, and if I know what my game plan is and what my philosophy is in all areas of the pitch, and if certain things are going wrong, then we can pinpoint at what point it's going wrong so we can talk to the players about that because we've worked on that so it might be back third to middle third um you know we're not getting a player free in midfield as a center back stepping in okay so what do we need to do better to be able to do that maybe the midfielders go out and we get a higher line dropping in so someone can get free on the next block to play forward so if i know exactly what i want and we've worked on that we can it makes everything else easier for the players and ourselves so it's about knowing what you want. I, I love watching, you know, last year we played with a box midfield. I played with a box midfield probably five years ago up the Central Coast for a, for a young team, oh, under-14s. It was an underdeveloped team. So um, all the more developed ones tend to get selected for the Mariners and would take the next lot. And, um, you know, they didn't have pace, didn't have strength. So we, we had to decide, okay, well, we need, we need more numbers around the ball. So we went with um, a three box three and played around with that and really enjoyed the formation, having that overload in the midfield and attacking width from the wide players. So, yeah, Nagelsmann, top coach. Um, Jurgen Klopp, top coach, got good players. Um, I think, you know, when we talk about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, there's new players coming in every other week, but why is he buying them? You know, why, you know, what purpose was Cavani? What, what do you, how does he fit into how you want to play? Um, you know what I mean? That's that's the key part of, I think, when, you, when you're picking out a player. You know, I got sent a top player uh, a couple of days ago, but it doesn't fit what we're doing. You know, we signed a player last – we didn't sign a player last year because we played with wide strikers and no nine. And this year we've – looks like we're going back to a nine – no one listens anyway, so they can know. <laughs> and we've re-signed that player. Probably not let that one out, mate. But well, yeah, we've re-signed that player. So it's, it's basically whatever you want to, however you see your football, mate. Yeah, I think I think it's pretty. Um, there's so much content out there these days as well. People should get on to the outside of this outstanding podcast that you guys have put together. <laughs> um, you know, you've got Pochettino, Mourinho, um, Guardiola. Ancelotti, you've got all these guys on podcasts now, or or books or audio books that you can really listen to and get an inside insight into what they've how they've done things, how they've tactically managed certain teams, and their thoughts on football. I think it's a, it's awesome to go into that side of things. Um, yep. Same with the Amazon series. You know, obviously, I've just finished watching, or I watched All or Nothing for the Spurs side of thing. Gave me a completely different perspective on Mourinho. You know, I'm so I'm always someone who gives people time anyway. 
So I wasn't bagging him early on when it was negative. I mean, he had nothing. They had a team, in my opinion, that they needed to work on and they had a stack of injuries. So last year wasn't a guide. Um, but, geez, you, you just he's just about steel. He is a winner. And you start to see those things in the background of what happens. You get a bit of a, a better picture of how things... He's brilliant. It's just it. amazing like, what yeah. he does. The, but he knows charisma. the cameras are there as well, doesn't he? Charisma, 100%. Yeah. He, knows he plays camera. to it. He knows it. But He's you can tell. He toughens. Yeah. He, he makes it... He makes people understand or think about pushing themselves harder. Yeah, he challenges you know? them. He challenges them, 100%. Yeah. You got it? You're on board. If you don't, see you later. Yeah. Like, that's it for him. Yeah. It's, it's Pull the bus over. Yeah, that's right. Man management, right? Um, that's that's a skill in itself for anybody. Yeah. How you manage players that are worth, you know, your team's worth a billion dollars, like it is City, as opposed to, um, you know, your, your bottom of the table sides are a lot less. How you manage different sides, man manage those to keep them all happy yeah. and keep them interested and in getting the best out of them. Tough gig. Yeah. Very tough. Boys, I think we'll wrap it up. Good. <laughs> Really? Yeah, we've got some shit to do today. I'm, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave you to it. Um, hey, I just want to say, Andy, thanks, mate. Um, yeah, brilliant stuff. Really, really good brilliant. to have you on a guest, mate. Glad you're healthy and doing well. Um, you know, to replug, mate. Um, deploy. Where do we? Where do we find you guys? How do we find you guys? We find deploy around plenty of football pitches at the moment. Uh, deployfootball.com. Um, we're pretty easily found now uh, around the traps. Um, you can order now for pre-season next year, um, bulk ordering, etc. I won't go too much into the sales stuff because it's not about that on the podcast. But um, what I did want to say, thanks for having us on, boys. Uh, really actually makes you feel better talking about some of the stuff we talked about earlier and um, hopefully, you know, what you've gone through, Dane, and what myself and there's other stuff that people are going through as well that, that it makes a bit of a difference, makes someone think and go, oh, well, I better get that checked, you know. It's not hard. Yep. You just got to get it checked. And yep. listen to yourself, your, your own body. Um, you know you know in your head that something's not right. Don't cover over it. 100%. That's the basics. Um, and the other thing, football in general, massive support base around myself and mates, playing with mates, family, and bringing families to the games and playing football, huge source of positivity and taking the mental stress of what everybody's going through or what you're going through initially. I remember saying in the sheds, and I won't go on too long, this is the last point, everybody in those dressing sheds is going through something. It might be small, it might be big compared to everybody small or big. But that small thing for somebody might be just as big in their head as it is as what you're going through that might be, whether it's life-threatening or not. So important for everybody to just just help each other out and kick on. Yep. That's, that's, that's what it's all about. But football or in sport in general, team sport, is a huge catalyst for that to get through pe- get people through individual issues. Yeah, 100%. So Very well massive, said. massive thank you to everybody out there who has had the support, my local customers or, or I'm quite good friends with these days. Um, we have good relationships, but a huge support base and the family, of course, as well. Very uh, well mate. said, mate. Heading yeah. Pro, where do we find Heading Pro? Uh, headingpro.com yep. is the website. There's plenty of stuff to look on on there. Price? Can we talk about that? Thirty nine ninety five retail. 
Um, you get discounts for every certain level of ball that goes to whether you buy three balls, five balls, ten balls, uh, 50 plus. If you're an association club, come and see us, uh, give us a buzz and we'll go through pricing based on quantity and um, make it worth your while to help uh, help get kids well developed out there. Well done, boys. Easy. Let's all t- we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Hef. Thanks, boys. Thanks, We're boys. Out. We're out.